Ride Over Stride, Episode 57. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm here today with Master Horseman Van Hargis. And Van, how are you doing today? Laura, I am just absolutely wonderful. As we say down here in Texas, man, I just feel like I'm in high cotton. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) I have no idea, really. I think, I I guess it's got to do with the fact that, you know, if you're having a really good year, you got lots of moisture and your cotton's doing well, it's kind of high off the ground and a guy can harvest it good. Heck, I don't know. Although, you know, there's an old... Yeah, it's, I think it's supposed to be a good thing. I hope okay. it's supposed to be a good thing. We've been, we've been referring to it as good for years and probably all the cotton farmers are looking at me going, yeah, you and all your brothers. I mean, what if, <laughs> what if it is bad? How do you know? Right. <laughs> do you well, ever wonder sometimes where our little cliche things come from? And I, I, sometimes I like to Google them and find out what, where they come from. And after you do, you kind of question, well, is that really appropriate? You know, I don't know if we should really <laughs> <laughs> something to ponder. Yeah. One that I know is always appropriate is what I say frequently is, uh, well, I just feel as lost as a ball in high weeds. And of course, if you're from Texas and you're, you know, you know what that means, but you know, sometimes it's a Southern term, but some are a Southern phrase. And I have to admit sometimes when I go places a little bit further North, people look at me kind of goofy and I'm thinking, well, I'm used to it. Don't <laughs> keep looking. <laughs> I'm used well, to being but, goofy. But today, instead of being lost in high in in weeds, you're in high cotton, and so that's good. That's, and, that's right. And now that we've got that settled, that things are good with Van Hargis, <laughs> what are we here to talk about today? Well, today, Laura, quite frankly, I'm pissed off. So today, we're going to talk about something. You know, we very rarely ever bring up a controversial subject on on our show, and today we're going to because I've I've been seeing this pop up a lot. And you know, we on a previous episode we talked about. Hurricane Harvey. And since Hurricane Harvey, I've seen a growth, I guess you could say, in people who are claiming to be rescue facilities with their horses, equine rescue facilities. So today's topic is actually rescue versus trader. And what I mean by trader is like horse traders, people who make a living buying and selling horses. And there's a practice that's been going on for quite a while now. I mean, pretty much ever since the internet's been born, but more so since Facebook has gotten more and more popular. And I'm not dogging Facebook by any stretch of imagination. I'm just saying that sometimes I just really want to caution people how they go about looking for, shopping for, doing anything with a good, kind heart that has to do with horses. Because there are people out there who, quite frankly, Laura, are, man, if I just, I just, can I just talk like me? They're just, they're scumbags out there. There, there are scumbags out there that really want to take advantage of people and they pull on people's heartstrings. They know that horses, or a sympathetic subject for almost anybody, even if you're a horse person or not. And the scum guys out there will, will literally go to horse sales, which I'm all for horse sales. I think horse sales are great venues to help market horses if they're good, legitimate, reputable horse sales. But there's a lot of these guys that will go to these horse sales and buy horses really cheaply, and then they'll take them home, and then they'll run ads on things like Facebook and Craigslist, and they'll say things like, this horse is going to slaughter on Tuesday if somebody doesn't buy it today. 
And basically what they're doing is they're pulling on people's heartstrings, holding the horse hostage, if it, I mean, in, in a way, and pretty much daring people to come and buy it to save it, because if you don't save it, it's going to go to slaughterhouse. And reputable rescue facilities don't do that, Laura. I've worked with too many for too long. I've, I volunteer my time at rescue facilities. We go do benefit clinics at rescue facilities. We've even gone to horse expos at the whole point of the horse expos to raise money and raise funds to support horse rescue facilities. Out of all of those years, I've never known one of those people to advertise their horses for sale and for sale prices that are anything more than an adoption fee. And usually the adoption fees are very, very fair. You know, adoption Mm -hmm. fees ranging from $125 to I think the most I've ever seen was around $500. Not 1300, 1500, 2500. And I actually saw one on the internet the other day for $3,500 adoption fee. I'm sorry, that's a horse being sold for profit. That's not a horse being adopted out from a legitimate rescue facility. So I, I just really want to caution people on that practice. And if it happens to be a scumbag, listen to this deal. I hope like heck that you're pissed off enough to email me and I'd like to email you back the riot act. <laughs> yeah. How's so that, Laura? Does that sound like I'm pissed off? <laughs> so if you're listening to this and, you, and you're one of those scumbags, stop it. <laughs> stop it. That's the Just message stop. for this episode. Well, and, and it's interesting because you mentioned, as we talked about in the, the last episode, about Harvey, the hurricane down there in South Texas. And I know that up here in North Texas, I saw a lot of discussion about horses and cattle and various kinds of livestock that were kind of run astray because of the storm that lost, that got separated from their owners. And I actually saw some discussion on Facebook about the very thing you're talking about, about people who were claiming to have rescuing, you know, be rescuing horses that had been lost and hadn't been claimed. And yet we're saying, if somebody doesn't adopt, and I'm using air quotes around adopt, adopt this horse by such and such date, it's going to slaughter. And there was a lot of outrage about that. On the other hand, there are people, as you say, that out of, you know, soft hearts or whatever, who bought into that line, and who were trying to raise money to you know, adopt these horses to save them from being slaughtered. You obviously have some strong feelings about it. My experience, we we have fostered horses at various times for a, a rescue organization here in Texas. And I can't think of a time that I've ever heard a rescue organization, a legitimate rescue organization say, if these horses don't get adopted, they'll be turned over for slaughter. Right. That's the whole point of the majority of these rescue facilities is just that. They're trying to keep that one thing from happening. And and don't get me wrong, Laura. I, I, I appreciate the fact that there are certain horses out there that in certain cases, there's probably not a better thing in the world for that horse than to either be put down or put away in some way. But the, the whole purpose of these rescue facilities is to rescue the horse. They're, they would absolutely lose all of their legitimacy whatsoever if they claimed that if the horses wasn't adopted by a certain amount of time or if it wasn't sold at a certain amount of time, that it was going to go to slaughter. It, there would be some other way for that horse to be moved than to be sent to the slaughterhouses. So that right there should be, the, and that's what I want to try to educate people about today, is that should be, the language alone should be your first big key that something about that thing doesn't sound right. And I tell you, just because I'm familiar with it, 
I'll oftentimes kind of bait these guys a little bit. Like, for example, I'll bait them by saying, oh, that's a beautiful horse you've got there. Tell me a little bit more about it. And they'll usually send me a response back. And, and then I'll go on to say, you know what? I really appreciate everything you rescue facilities do. I frequently either donate my time, donate my money, or I'll do things to help you guys out. So please tell me, how can I contribute to your nonprofit? Or I'll ask them specifically, what is your 501c3 so I can, so I can write that off? And I'm amazed at how many of them will immediately stop responding or delete my post or delete my message because they know that I just called, I just caught them. You see, because if, if they were legitimate, they would be more than happy to share their 501c3 information with you because they want their contributors to not only feel good about donating, but they also want their contributors to feel good about the ability to write that off on their taxes as a nonprofit contribution if they want to. So these that don't do that and that immediately kind of avoid you, that is another big, huge red flag that says that place is probably not legitimate. And I don't mind telling you, there's one in Louisiana. (laughs) And I I hate to sound like I'm just pointing fingers, but there's one in Louisiana that's extremely blatant about doing it. And they were even more so immediately after the, uh, the, the floods in the Houston area. Because they knew that there had been so much news and so much information about Houston, so much news about horses being displaced. And they just, they, because of that publicity that was given to them free on all the, the weather channels, on all the other network channels, because of all that publicity, they knew that it was going to be on the heartstrings of so many people. So what do they do? They go in there and they start promoting those threats and then legitimately trying to sell or not ill or illegitimately trying to sell horses for like I said, I saw one up to $3,500. And I'm thinking if it was a, <laughs> if it was a horse that they're really trying to, to get adopted out or to get saved or rescued from that facility to either another facility or to a private, to a private setting, why would it need to be sold for, quite frankly, what is a really good competitive sale price for most average horses today? It's just, it's just those things that like that, the Lord just said, it really upsets me. And I just want, I want more and more people to be very aware of those types of facilities out there and those types of individuals that are out there trying to take advantage of them. Well, on the other, on the other side of that, what you were just talking about, the pricing, a horse that's worth $3,500, nobody's going to send that horse to a slaughterhouse. Exactly. So either it's not worth that amount of money and they really are scamming and trying to get more than a horse is worth, or they're just lying out through their teeth about what their motives are. You know, my experience with rescues has been more limited than yours, but I've never seen a horse, even a really good quality horse, because sadly, there are really good horses that end up in rescue situations. And when that happens, even the best quality horses at the rescues that I've known of, they wouldn't be charging prices like that because their objective, they need to cover their costs of of what they're doing. And their objective is to do that, to, you know, have the resources to help more horses, but ultimately it's to get a good home for those animals. And so they're not trying to price it out of the market. I mean, we could, you know, we could, I guess, go down a rabbit trail about whether people should be buying horses from which kinds of rescues and who. And in fact, you've talked about that. Maybe we can put a link in the show notes because I can't remember what episode a while back we talked a little bit about things to keep in mind when you're buying a horse from a, a rescue organization. But for people who have that soft heart, who and lots of horse people are in that category that really want to see to it that animals get cared for well, 
what would you recommend if they want to be want to be helpful, want to make sure that they're helping the right kind of horses and the right kind of organizations? What would you suggest to those people? The first thing I would do is just do a little bit of due diligence and research. In other words, when somebody claims to be an equine rescue facility, then the first thing I would want to know is where are you guys located? What is your 501c3 status? I've never known of a horse rescue facility that wasn't a nonprofit, and I'm not saying they don't exist, but I've never known of one that existed uh, that was a a for-profit business. So the first thing I'd want to know, I'd do is just a little bit of research. I'd want to know where they're located, how long they've been in business, or how long they've been rescuing horses. And then, of course, I'd want to know their 501c3. I'd want to, I'd want to find out that information. The other thing is I'd like to find out what is their typical process of acquiring horses, and then what is also their process of placing the horses. And the whole point is exactly like what you're talking about, Laura. Sometimes they will place the horses in permanent homes, meaning that somebody will literally adopt the horse. Or in so many cases, it's just like what you and Mike do, which is you you foster the horses, which basically means you're totally, fully responsible for that animal in every aspect of except for the ownership of that animal. In other words, it still belongs to the nonprofit, and the nonprofit ultimately would still like to try to place that horse. But at the same time, I've known people who fostered horses that put a tremendous amount of not just their own money into the horse through the care, but I've known people who have trained them, who spent hours and hours getting them riding really well just to make it to where the nonprofit could actually adopt the horse out even easier. So in other words, let's say it was you and Mike, y'all could be riding the horses, doing all sorts of cool stuff with them. And now you become a very viable resource as to the information of the horse's personality, how easy they are to keep, what do they know and what do they not know when it comes to how they ride. All that information is great. Anybody that doesn't have that type of information or has no access to that information is more than likely illegitimate. They're probably just a horse trader and they're probably just trying to profit a little bit of money off of the demise of a horse. And when I say the demise is because most of them that are making that threat of, well, if you don't get it within so many days, we're going to load it on a truck and take it to Mexico or wherever else to, to slaughterhouse. They probably are, but I still wouldn't fall for that trick if I was somebody. There are way too many other legitimate facilities out there that I would adopt from. In other words, I wouldn't just go and quote unquote rescue this horse and pay these outrageous fees because that only encourages those traders to do that more. The only way they're going to stop is when people stop falling for their tricks. Does that mean a few horses might suffer in the meantime? Sadly, it might might do. But the only way those guys are going to stop is if it no longer becomes a profit or if they get turned into the point where they realize that it is truly a scam. In my opinion, I don't, I'm don't. i not a lawyer, Laura. You might be able to answer this for us. But to me, it's a fraudulent act. What they're doing is they're representing themselves as something that they're not. And to me, it comes across as fraud. I don't Legally, I don't know if it really is, but it comes across that way. And I know that typically fraud people who commit that type of fraud, they only quit when there's no more money in it or they quit because they've been busted. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly deceptive. That the question of whether it's legally fraudulent, I, I don't know the answer to that. It's kind of outside my area of legal expertise, but it, it's certainly deceptive. And the sad thing is that it not only, you know, costs people money or heartache that they wouldn't, they shouldn't have to endure, but it is also drawing resources away from the legitimate rescue facilities, yes. those nonprofits that actually are trying to help find homes for these horses and 
you know, the, the, the nonprofits that are focused on rescue, whether it's horses or any other animal, they do provide care for them. That's the, the adoption fees that people pay, which are incredibly reasonable for getting a horse are used to pay for veterinary care and farrier care and to reimburse some of the costs of the feed. But the, the horses that we fostered, we fed them. We, we right. paid for the hay and the feed and treated them the same way we treated our own horses until permanent homes were found for them. And so it, it's a sad thing that there are people, you know, this, I mean, it's true in any area of life, I guess. There are people out there who make their living taking advantage of, of other people, but not only are they taking advantage of the, the kind-hearted people who, who want to help horses, but they're, as I said, taking resources away from the legitimate rescue organizations that are always needing more resources to be able to help more horses. Exactly. And and I commend you, Laura, because I've known you've, you've worked with, what is it? The, the blue bonnet group. Is that the, yeah. is it, is, okay. I, I know you've worked with those guys before on, uh, at your request, I actually came on behalf of those guys to do some evaluations for them. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. They, folks like myself and you, we donate and contribute our time because we believe in what they do. And there's tons and tons all over the country and all over the world, quite frankly, because I know there's some of these things that exist in New Zealand as well. There's tons of these places that do wonderful work, doing their dead level best to adopt these horses out. But like you said, it takes a lot of resources to make that happen. And those resources are, in, in some cases, very hard and very difficult to come by. And it, nothing maddens me to know that these guys are literally working their tails off on shoestring budgets, and yet somebody's on their backside kind of just skimming off the top, so to speak. But with that said, you know what I want to do, Laura, if you don't mind? I'd like to kind of go over kind of the process of of how a horse would ever make it to slaughter in the first place. Because I think so many people live in fear. Oh, I just don't want my horse to go to slaughter. Nobody does, first of all. Nobody wants their horses to go to slaughter. But we mentioned earlier about the cell barns. I feel sorry for a lot of these cell barns because they get bombarded sometimes with emails and horrible messages on Facebook. Because if somebody sells a horse at that auction and the horse quite frankly, isn't very valuable. It's going to sell fairly cheaply. And if it sells for a fairly inexpensive price, the first thing that people do is start screaming, oh, he's going to go to the killer. He's going to go to a slaughterhouse. Well, and he might do, but I just want people to understand how this works. If you sell your horse to uh, or at a sale barn and he sells for a fair market price, and what fair market is, how a quote-unquote killer buyer buys a horse. In other words, somebody who's going to take this horse and go straight to the slaughterhouse for this horse to become dog food or whatever horses become in the afterlife within this, in these types of situations. What happens is, is that those guys cannot afford to buy horses at a high price. So they're usually buying the horses that either the sale barn can't sell or that they're selling for an unbelievably low price. And it's literally like so many cents per pound. From there, the horses go to a killing facility, and I don't know if there's any in the United States that operate anymore. I know they recently passed another bill that's kind of opening that situation back up for investigation, but at this point in time, at least the horses down here in South, they are headed to Mexico, and when they go to Mexico, they're they're being slaughtered, 
And then they get used for whatever. They get used for the leathers used for boots. I mean, there's literally not a single part of the animal that goes to waste. Everything gets used. And it literally gets used for everything from uh, medicines to leather oil to leather itself. I mean, you name it. There's, there's, there's not a single thing that goes to waste to that animal. So if, if you think about it, then it doesn't make sense then for if that's the process and if we understand that those killer buyers – for what is oftentimes what they're referred to. If the killer buyers were having to buy those horses so incredibly cheap, and the reason why is because the products aren't bringing much money, so it's all about the dollar. In order for those guys to make any money, they've got to buy the horses incredibly cheap. And I mean literally cents by the pound. It's what they sell for. So if we see someone that's buying a horse for, say, 500 bucks and is rescuing the horse from a killer buyer, but then he's going to sell it for say a thousand dollars. That's not a, that's not a, that's not a rescue facility. That guy didn't rescue that horse for anything. That's just a trader that bought a horse at one price at wholesale and is going to turn around and sell it at, re- at retail. That's how that part works. And when that guy does that under the guise that he is a rescue facility, my question is simply this, you rescued it from what? You didn't rescue the horse from anything. You didn't rescue it from a bad environment going to a better environment because those guys don't give a flying flip who buys the horse from them. And the reason I say that is because sometimes there are well-meaning people that think they're going to go rescue these horses from the killer buyers, and they're not necessarily a rescue facility themselves. They're just good-hearted people, but they don't know anything about horses. And matter of fact, there's one here in Victoria that did just that, bought three or four horses out of a place uh, in Louisiana, the place we were referring to earlier, the horse made its way from Louisiana to this lady's backyard. Before you know it, this lady's backyard grass is gone. The horses began to lose weight like crazy. She didn't know what to do. Somebody says, well, you just need to put a bale of hay back there. So she went and bought the cheapest bale of hay that she could because these are rescue horses. She didn't want to spend a lot of good, valuable money on it. And she dumped the piece of hay out there that I promised I wouldn't feed to a goat that I didn't like. And these horses were so starving, they were eating this really poor, nutritioned bale of hay. The horses were still losing weight. They had no shelter, uh, no way to get out of the wind, no way to get out of the rain. And before you know it, the horses were in such poor condition, much poorer than they were when she so-called rescued them, that the horses need to be rescued. Her neighbors turned her into the, the county. So then the county get those horses and they put them in their facility for a few days before farming them out to a legitimate rescue facility who had to spend a huge amount of money on getting the horses from the emaciated state back to the state in which they could finally get those horses adopted out. So that's another reason why I don't like the so-called rescue guys that are selling horses because they scare people into buying them. The people that they tend to scare are people who know very little about horses and how to care for them. Even though they really mean well, they didn't do anything for the benefit of the horse. It didn't benefit the horse just to rescue it, so to speak. My question is always, rescued it from what? You rescued it from one poor situation to starve it in another poor situation. Rescue facilities don't do that. So, But at the same time, when rescue facilities place a horse... They qualify somebody. They pre-qualify them. For example, I'm sure that you and Mike were pre-qualified before you guys were allowed to foster a horse. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what I was thinking as you were talking. The the rescue organizations that I know of, and Blue Bonnet is the one that we worked with um, here in Texas. They we had to fill out an application. Somebody had to come out to our property and check it out, make sure we had a safe environment to put horses in and that we, you know, had the good sense to feed them and, and all those sorts of things. They looked at our fencing, they looked at our barn, they looked, you know, all those sorts of things just to foster them. And somebody who wants to adopt a horse from a legitimate rescue facility has to go through that same process. Right. They, and that's, that's another difference between them and these people who are apparently just looking to profit from, you know, buying a horse or finding a horse or however they get their horses at a low or no cost and, and then selling them at a higher price by taking advantage of the soft hearts of people who want to, you know, save these horses. Right. So yeah, legitimate rescue facilities won't just let you take one of their horses because you've got, you know, a couple hundred dollars in your pocket. You know, Laura, you're exactly right. I mean, in, just because you've got a couple hundred dollars in your pocket, there's no reason why you should just be able to go, quote unquote, adopt a horse. You know, so I guess we just need to keep all those types of things in mind. You know, I love the adoption idea. I love the adoption concept. I, I love the fact that there are so many good hearted adoption companies, for lack of a better term, out there that are really trying to do their due diligence to help the industry and to help the horses. But let's just be realistic and, and, Caution those who lack that credibility. You know, just like you said a moment ago, there's the legitimate rescue facilities, the legitimate adoption facilities simply just don't have the idea of selling a horse for profit. You know, the, the adoption fees are, are very reasonable. So because of that, let's just kind of summarize by saying just to use your good judgment, just to really check out the, these these facilities, check out these folks, and, and don't be afraid to ask for their status, their 501c3 status or their nonprofit status, and just do their due diligence before they just kind of jump off the bandwagon with a guilty heart and try to rescue a horse at for realities just being sold for profit. So I, I guess I just want to caution the, the listeners just to, to do their due diligence, do a little bit of research before they jump off into that situation. Well, yeah. And just to realize, just to, to cut right to the chase, if all somebody wants from you is some money to, to let you take the horse, then it's not a legitimate rescue organization. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I hope this does answer a few questions for folks, Laura, because I mean, that was the whole purpose of this particular thing. And I know I kind of jumped on, you know, my soapbox there in the beginning of this uh, episode. But the reality is that it's truly one of my biggest pet peeves is to see anybody trying to take advantage of, of people in our industry. So I, I think the professionals have to really police our industry and we have to work really hard to kind of help those who who may not be as knowledgeable or as educated about this as we are, or who just might not be able to help find out the answers. So um, maybe us professionals should just work a little harder to try to help educate people a little bit better about where to seek out the answers. Because Lord knows I don't always know, but at least I've been in the industry long enough to to be able to ask questions in a particular direction uh, in some cases to help folks out. So with that said, let's just encourage those folks. If you do have any questions about this episode and about uh, a rescue facility versus a horse trader type situation, please feel free to reach out to us. You know, just contact us at info at vanhargis.com and address those questions to us. And we'll do our best to try to point you guys in the right direction. And there you go. That's a great place, I guess, to point people who have questions of any kind, whether it's about a rescue organization or about potentially adopting a horse 
or, uh, you know, questions about things we've talked about on this episode or any other one or suggestions for things we could talk about on future episodes, you can always send those comments or questions to Van at info at vanhargis.com and he will certainly get back to you. you. You can also feel free to post a question on the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page and Van watches that when he's, when he can, when he's not out in the arena or, uh, you know, in an airplane going somewhere to teach and definitely answer those questions and help you point you in the right direction. Van, is there anything else you want folks to know before we wrap this up today? Anything exciting coming up that they should know about? Well, of course, we want to push people toward our website to find out our schedule. And of course, always encourage folks that if you're interested in us coming to your area, to your location, to do a clinic or or even just a presentation of some sort, just feel free to give us a shout, check our schedule first and and uh, kind of see if there's a, a gap in there you'd like for us to fill for you. And we'd be more than happy to do so. And you mentioned a moment ago, Laura, the best way to do that is just contact us on our website at uh, info at vanhargis.com. And uh, we do have some really interesting events coming up, but... Um, Really, honestly, without us going into detail about every one of them, the easiest thing to do is just check it out on our website or follow us, of course, on the Facebook page, uh, Van Hargis Horsemanship. But uh, Laura, as always, I just really want to express my appreciation to you and our producer, John, for all that you guys do to to make the podcast possible. And again, it we wouldn't be doing it if it weren't for the listeners. And I really appreciate everybody's patience over the last several weeks with us getting beyond the, the hurricane and getting beyond uh, the, the hiccups we were having and trying to get back on the, the podcast recording schedule again. And uh, thanks to everybody for who, who has shown the patience and has stuck with us. And thanks for sending in your questions to us. So uh, with that said, I'd just like to remind everybody that it's your ride. It's your trail. It's your journey. So ride every stride. <laughs>